This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Look, before we start this episode of the James McMahon Music Podcast, I need to tell you something. I need your help. I need you, when you finish with the episode, to go to the platform you've listened to this podcast on and give me a rating, a review, and to subscribe too. It helps me cheat the algorithm and get more ears on the podcast. And know this, I'm very grateful for it. Also, I have a Substack where I write about music and film and telly and all sorts of stuff. I love it if you sign up for dispatches. There are different price options, 5 quid a month, 50 quid a year, and for that, you get access to loads of exclusive writing and podcasts. It's the most helpful thing you can do to support the stuff I make. And again, I'd be so grateful. That's spook.substack.com. That's spook with three O's. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank Jesus. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast system. Oh, shit! This is the James McMahon Music Podcast, and I'm your host, James McMahon, and this is a Spook Media Production. Come on, you guys, the sun's already up. It's going to be a golden day. Let's eat. part of a complete breakfast for the whole family. Try those golden grains and have a golden day. I cannot even begin to tell you just how obsessed I was with the pop band Blur when I was a teenager. And so it was extremely exciting to get the opportunity to speak to that band's guitarist, Graham Coxon, who was always my favourite, for this edition of the podcast. I've interviewed Graham before, years ago, in my enemy days, in a coffee shop in Camden. I remember the coffee machine being loud and me not being able to hear exactly what he was saying. It was quite farcical, really. I'm pleased to report that this time around, things went much better. And this conversation about Graham's excellent memoir, Verse Chorus Monster, out now on Faber and Faber. His always interesting solo career, his thoughts on gorillas, the virtual band conceived by his longtime blur running mate Dave Nalbarn, and his plans for the future, which principally involves his new band, The Wave, with new partner Rose Eleanor Dougal, new partner in every sense of the word. Well, it sounds clear as a whistle. Clean as a whistle? I can never remember which one's which. I should say that this interview took place with Graham for a much larger written piece that's appearing in a newspaper soonish. I'll let you know when that's out. I mean, what you should do is go sign up to the Spook Substack at spook.substack.com. That's a spook with three O's. And then you'll know everything there is to know, all of the time. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Right, try now. Hello? Yeah.
Sorry about that. So yeah, I was saying that, but I haven't spoken to you for years. Um, I sit there looking at some of my music stuff, like it's going, why, why is nothing happening <laughs> for like half an hour? Why, why have you written a book? Well, it, it's been the idea has been floating around with me and Faber for a number of years since, oh gosh, two thousand fifteen, seventeen, maybe. Um, and it was going to be, you know, an art book. Really, it was going to be about, you know, filled with not so serious drawings and then some of my more serious attempts at painting etc um and then there was staff changes there was amount of time went by and we decided to attack it a, a little more um it just seemed like a good idea to do it maybe with a journalist or with a writer as well to lighten the load with me and do it a little more conversationally and so it seemed like a good idea in autumn 2020 to let's get back on track with this thing and 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 get on with it. Um, but why? It seemed to make sense at that point in my life to do some sort of memoir. It's not what I had in mind to start with, although it's a good um, punctuation point, I suppose, um, 2020. It, I mean, it's a pretty big punctuation point for everybody, really. The lockdown and and um, it just seemed like a good way to re, re- appraise and examine what had brought me to the point I was at in autumn 2020. I guess I just um, you know as a fan of your music and like I was like a Graham guy like when I was a teenager. It almost I don't know like um, it just feel it just feels a bit like a very un Graham Coxon move from what I know of you. You're like the. Anti- well, I think I've actually overshared most of my life through lyrics and and, and and things like that. I've not been particularly like a lot more guarded. Maybe as a human being, I'm I'm a, a little more guarded, um, a bit more of an actor in my own life. But I think within songs, I've never really been afraid to be kind of very open or straight talking about stuff. Um, So it's not like I was setting any records straight or anything like that either, or wanting to bitch about anybody. It was just, it started as a thing, a a thing about how I relied on art and drawing and turned into, you know, how that applied throughout my life and bands I've been in. And, and, and all of the rest of it. And then, of course, once you start bringing all the things in like bands and touring, then other elements of my life sort of get included. Um, and those things that get included are very often the things that are not always positive and the things that are always quoted on Twitter. And then I have to go and flip and explain why I've said it. Um you know, this quote that floats there without really any... Um, framing. Framing. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I suppose I can say quite a lot of things that can be taken wrongly um, or can be put, or can be framed in such a way as to wind up fans or, or other things. And in themselves, they're not, they're not um, offensive to anybody. They're just... They're just things that some of the fans might and and might get um, all dramatic about, you know. 
like if I mentioned something about about Damon, it's like, oh gosh, he said this about Damon, you know. But it's nothing I've said is complete is very controversial, you know. <laughs> it's we've known each other a long, long time, and people say each other about say all sorts of things about their family members and close friends that that are far worse, you know. Um, Can I ask you some fan questions? Yeah. Um, was there a moment in Blur where you started to go? Oh, this isn't really what I wanted it to be. Well, it goes from great, oh, crikey, it's like this, is it? And then mild panic. And then when it becomes a business, I suppose, when or when that side of it becomes so apparent in um, meetings and with even conversations with other band members, you know, about next moves, breaking America. Um, when When I felt like my own people were talking their language, you know, <laughs> I started to get resentful. It's it's nobody's fault because there isn't any other language for it. Or, you know, you could, instead of saying break America, I suppose you could say something else. We can really attempt to, to do well in America. And this requires us to tour for 10 months over there. Um, but I, I was a, you, you know, I, nothing would have been right for me as a personality in those days, really. You know, there was it. There was so much to rail against, so much to complain about, that it wasn't. It didn't require much effort for me to be Mardi. Um, what I really should have done was was been more grateful, for, you know, for my good fortune, um, and looked after myself better, and just, you know, enjoyed it innocently instead of being instead of not enjoying it in a kind of innocent sort of way as well i i i sort of i was a brat really i was a bit petulant i mean it sounds like it was uh this was never on the cards but do you wish you were still do you wish you were still doing it at like the apex of what you were well this it's great putting out an album there being a massive song and dance um i don't know um if that happens to anybody now, but it did happen in, in the 90s. And I'd like to have maybe had insider information about the future of the music business in the 90s. <laughs> maybe I would have um, sort of thought, well, you know, in a few years, it's going to be very, very different. Right. I don't mean worse. Um, but, so, explain um, a bit more what you mean by that. Well, it was kind of like the last hurrah of the music business. It's when the music business the big record companies foolishly really, I guess in a way were able to really throw money around. Yeah. Um, so it was almost, it was an extension of the six or well, the seventies, eighties and nineties, I suppose. And um, then things got an, an awful lot more frugal when the record labels were a little sort of um, smug, I suppose in the, in, in, you know, in the, um, what is it? A bit too not smug, contented. Definitely a storm, a black cloud coming. And people like Dave, our drummer, he he knew the internet was was developing, and and he sort of saw a future where this was going to be a bit challenging for record labels. But no one really wanted to take much notice. Damon's obviously like one of the best songwriters within my lifetime, right? Is that like, obvious? Of course it is. He's... <laughs> <laughs> it's like preposterous. I, 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 I went to see the Barbican recently, and I was just like, "How can it be that good?" 
But like, he worked hard. Do you think that's what it is, though? Yeah. Like, okay. How yeah. do you? I mean, you can't. You don't just wake up and and be able to write great songs. You know, Dame has written songs that I was like, ah, oh, bastard. I wish I'd have written that. You know, he's written loads of those. But it's not like he he hasn't got probably two thousand songs that were rubbish. You know, right, the, right. no one will ever hear. You know, that's just how it goes. And the more you work, the more you flex those muscles, the more better ones are amongst the bad ones. You know, and 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 if you're doing that every day, how many songs do you think you've got after six months? Yeah. I mean, if you're getting two or three ideas together a, a day and you're doing that every day for six months or at least five times a week for six months, I mean, do the maths. How many songs is that? And when I was doing my soundtracks, I got a sort of, you know, I was doing a sort of a nine to five similar sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, after a few weeks, you've got like 300 songs. It's like flipping it. They're not all good, but there's there's things going on and you're oiling the machinery. And the more you do it, the more good songs come out of it. Is it weird? I mean, I would have, you know, I was like a, a blur nut in my teens and early 20s, like, I would have never envisaged, you know, Blur almost being, like, the... God, how do I frame this without being disrespectful? Like, almost, <laughs> like, almost like the... I don't mind, don't I? Almost like the lesser concern, right? As, it, as in, like, gorillas are, like, kind of a bit of a phenomenon, really. Is, is, is that weird? Like, it definitely feels like not something you ever could have envisaged, like, on stage at the Brits or whatever. Yeah, but, you know, it. that was an idea he had that really caught on. I mean, I caught on. It, it, it's just one of those things that, I don't know. It, I, I, I found it odd listening to early gorillas. It was like, oh, this is, this is kind of, I don't, um, is it odd? I don't know what he was planning. Like, Blur didn't know they were, that Britpop and all of that was just around the corner when we were recording Pop Scene. We didn't know that hadn't happened. We were just a, another group, and there was other groups in Britain making music. Um, so I'm not sure that he knew when he went into that as a sort of a concept with Jamie that years down the line it would be at that big. Right. But I suppose he needed to explore other something outside of a sort of a, um, a classic band lineup, and that's that's fair enough. We all we, we we all need that sometimes, you know. If we've been involved in a classic lineup, you know, what happens if we we drag a bit of hip hop in, use electronic drums, use more synths, um, create characters? You know, what what happens if we if we do that? And what if those characters aren't you know, what if this this band isn't really real and I can hide behind all this and not have to really do all the crappy work that used to get on my nerves in Blur? You know, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. And that that suddenly is, you know, Jamie creating this amazingly cute band and it, it fires the imagination and, 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 of course, is thick with hooks. Um and and guests, you know, he's certainly got an awful lot of um, confidence, Damon, to approach the people he has approached over the years, you know. I guess what's interesting in a way, though, is just that, 
you know, the narrative has always really been that you, almost that, like, Blur couldn't be everything that you needed, whether that was your musical ethos or the music that you were into. Whereas, like, do you think it was a bit that Blur and you couldn't offer Damon what he needed? I think it's the same with both of us. I think Blur can't give you everything you need. I think I had to learn how to write songs. Um, that's not why Blur and I went our separate ways for, for a while. Um, that's not the reason for it. But um, I realised that it would be good to try and write my own songs. And I, wouldn't even, I may not have even bothered trying if an old neighbour of mine hadn't sort of written a script for a film and said, well, you're a bloody musician, write us a couple of songs for this film. And I was like, what? You know, and gave it a go. Right. And they were the first a couple of songs that ended up on my Sky's Too High album. You know, I probably wouldn't have bothered, but, <laughs> but I'm glad I did. Um, it's a good record, that. Well, lots of people love that record. Um, but I, I think we all need to develop as, as musicians and in a lot of ways we need to be selfish about that because no one's going to encourage you to go off and do something outside of the band that is doing, you know, pretty well. Yeah. You're doing really great in Blur. Why don't you put it aside and start some weird cartoon band? Why don't you go off, Graham, and just do some self-produced, like, funny little records? Yeah. You know, it doesn't seem like it doesn't really make much sense. So, but these are risks we have to take, and and we we need to take. Not necessarily in public. I mean, we took all of our risks in public, and I've developed as a songwriter and a guitar player in public. We don't need to do it, but as as part of our own development as people um, and as musicians, and, and there's a need to do that. Has there ever been a point where you kind of fell out of love with music? No. I fell out in love with the general public and the record-buying public. <laughs> they don't know what's good. Um, but no, I've never fallen out in love with music. Music has absolutely always been there. For me, it's, it's, it's like the objects I surround myself with or the objects I've found throughout my life that I hold dear as little treasures music is is very personal to me um and and i get most enjoyment out of music when i'm i listen to it in solitude i don't it's not really a social thing for me it really is connected with mental health for me can you elaborate on that a little bit more well it's it's something that reminds me of who i am if i listen to l'amour looks something like you by kate bush then I'm 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 transported. You know, I, I find I find it overwhelming. I find it just beautiful. I I become I go through different layers of myself to age ten to age sixteen, eighteen, thirty-two, you know. Um it's almost like, you know, a stone that you found under a tree, you know. Or like me, that weird vase I found under a tree on the army estate. You know, it's I've still got it, and it and it connects me to myself through right the way through my past. Um, and talk talk in twenty twenty. You know, every day I'll be listening to the Laughing Stock, that album, because of um, I was suffering a lot of anxiety in twenty twenty. You know, my mum was extremely ill. 
I was going through therapy. A lot had happened in that year that had really knocked me sideways. Um, so, and into 2021, yeah, still, and, and into still into working with Rose, I was, I was still feeling this sort of anxiety and every morning sort of almost meditating to, to like talk, talk and, and stuff like that. Um, so it is, it is connected with me. Uh, I wouldn't go, let's sit down and listen to like the kick inside with a friend of mine. Right. It's just, I, I don't know why. I mean, it's just, it's just very personal to me or, no, I get that. I understand that now. That sort of intense listening is something that I only need to do on my own. It's been dead nice chatting, Graham. Just before I leave you, other than the book, what are the projects you're working on that you can tell me about? Well, getting ready for doing some gigs with The Wave, their album out, me and Rose. The Wave's album is out on the 3rd of February next year. That's been extremely exciting. Um, we got together without really knowing each other that well at all really to do a couple of songs I ended up making an album and a lot more besides and um that that was extraordinary from to, to me uh, you know to meet someone who was very much from my own species i i thought someone who had been floating around out there for for a long for a long time to be suddenly making music that i really thought was bloody good uh and meant a lot to me and meant a lot to her. I thought that was something amazing that came out of um, um, lockdown and, and, and the issues that all chucked up in both of our faces. And apart from that, writing, really, mucking about on a synthesizer. Um, Do you have any idea when you might have a, a new solo record? Um, well, I've still got one sitting around from years ago, about 10 years ago. All <laughs> oh, right. Called Castle Park, but um, I'm not sure whether that when that can come out but yeah i suppose graham coxton should rear his ugly head at some point yeah don't leave it too long but it's good having different things i thought the super state thing was really really overlooked i was very proud of that album perhaps it got confused with all the artwork and everything but i thought that was a really good bit of work it took me four years i put a lot into it so that the super state thing and and the the, the wave is really what i want to concentrate on but graham coxton yeah he should maybe do something that's another change of costume. I got you know, it's like put the stripy t-shirt on for him. <laughs> get in the uh, get in the phone booth and uh, yeah. twirl twirl around a few times. Yeah, Graham, thanks for the chat, man. Uh, I'm sure I'll see you down the line at some point. Yeah, come to some wave gigs. Well, that was episode sixty-seven. Thanks to Graham for the chat. Thanks to Dan Paps for hooking us up. The theme tune is by the Banjobbers. And I'll see you soon.